evening of a hot day started the little wind to moving among the leaves. The shade climbed up the hills towards the top. On the sandbanks, the rabbits sat as quietly as little grey sculptured stones. And then from the direction of the state highway came the sound of footsteps on crisp sycamore leaves. The rabbits hurried for cover. A stilted heron laboured up into the air and pounded down river. For a moment, the place was lifeless. And then two men emerged from the path and came into the opening by the green pool. They had walked in single file down the path, and even in the open one stayed behind the other. Both were dressed in denim trousers and in denim coats with brass buttons. Both wore black shapeless hats and both carried tight blanket rolls slung over their shoulders. The first man was small and quick, dark of face with restless eyes and sharp, strong features. Every part of him was defined. Small, strong hands, slender arms, a thin and bony nose. Behind him walked his opposite, a huge man, shapeless of face, with large, pale eyes and wide, sloping shoulders. And he walked heavily, dragging his feet a little, the way a bear drags his paws. My wife took down and died up on the cabin floor And I ain't got no home in this world anymore And that was the opening excerpt from John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, one of the novels on this year's Junior Cert English. This is the first programme in our series looking at the English module on the Junior and the Leaving Cert. And I'm joined in studio by some of the students from Larkin Community College and also by their teacher, Michelle. Michelle, if you can just introduce yourself and the students, please. Well, I'm known to the students as Miss Fallon and um, the students here are Naomi Russell, uh, Matilda, Michaela, Cameron and Luciana. Okay, you're all very welcome. Say hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> and, and taking some of the questions, you know, what we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to take questions from the junior cert and uh, pose them to you guys to see how you'd approach it um, or how you'd go about answering it. So looking at a question from the junior cert, uh, foundation level, let's start off easy. <laughs> and uh, from 2007, uh, I'm going to read through a couple of them. Describe a character that you liked or disliked in the novel. Uh, Describe a frightening, exciting, funny thing that happened to that character. So a character that you liked or disliked in the novel. Anybody have any ideas on that or or who would you pick? Probably Curly or Lenny. For Curly, like for a character that I disliked, I'd pick Curly and something that exciting that happened when he started off on Lenny and he was like, "Uh, I want to fight you because I thought you were like, uh, having a go at my wife but he actually wasn't and Lenny stood there taking all his hits refusing to fight back because George told him to absolutely do not fight we do not want to get thrown off this farm and he stood there patiently taking all the hits and everything and Curly was just getting angrier and angrier but when Lenny started fighting back Curly could see that this was a mistake and he couldn't do anything about it so that's something I'd pick for a character that I disliked and something yeah frightening or exciting that happened to them. Did anyone like the character of Lenny? Did anyone definitely yeah. uh, sympathise with him at all? He's just he's a very like innocent character. Mm. You like at the, at that scene where he fights Corley really now that uh he would just do anything like George tells him to do. Mm. Um, 
he's completely oblivious to his strengths and what he's capable of and it's like he's completely blind to what's going on around him and just what he's being told is what he goes by so and what about George then what about his character because he's kind of a complex character isn't he sort of he likes to say that he doesn't like Lenny and that he wish he could leave him behind his life would be so much easier but in any given opportunity that Lenny does say oh just leave me behind I'll be fine on my own George absolutely refuses to leave him behind and tells him to stop goofing off so he's like a father figure to him so you do anything to protect him obviously he's he's quite admirable isn't he yeah Yeah. it's said that like uh, at one point uh, he like he first started taking advantage of the fact that uh, because he, Lenny would do anything that George told him to, so he got him to jump in the lake even though Lenny couldn't swim, and that's kind of the moment he realized how much Lenny actually trusts him and he actually got a feeling of like responsibility over him. So that's something that's really important in the novel as well. So George looked over at Slim and saw the calm, godlike eyes fastened on him. Funny, said George. I used to have a hell of a lot of fun with him. Used to play jokes on him because he was too dumb to take care of himself. But he was too dumb even to know he had a joke played on him. I had fun. Made me seem goddamn smart alongside of him. Why, he'd do any damn thing I told him. If I told him to walk over a cliff, over he'd go. He never got mad about it, neither. I beat the hell out of him, and he could have bust every bone in my body just with his hands. But he never lifted a finger against me. George's voice was taking on the tone of confession. Tell you what made me stop that. One day a bunch of guys were standing round up on the Sacramento River. I was feeling pretty smart. I turns to Lenny and says, jump in. Then he jumps couldn't swim a stroke he damn near drowned before we could get him and he was so damn nice to me for pulling him out clean forgot i told him to jump in well i ain't done nothing like that no more so looking at the 2013 foundation level question again we just listened to that excerpt there matilda was talking earlier about how George's character, there's a bad side to the character as well. But you were asked in 2013 to look at the good side to one of the characters in the story. So can anybody think of any good sides to the characters in the story? I think it's very good of Candy when he's like, when he hears George talking about their farm that they're going to have in the future, he like gives all his life savings just to help with them so he can have a life for himself as well. But like giving someone all your money without actually being positively sure if it's actually going to happen is actually a big step and it's very nice of him to just be able to help them and yeah. help himself as well yeah I suppose Michelle if you say you know he's a good character it, they're looking for examples to oh, get marks aren't they on the yeah. exam so yeah. how many examples would you need to give of, um, uh, well for foundation level they wouldn't be looking for a very deep understanding or that many examples but at the same time you always have to um, have clarification as to why you're picking a character you can't it's not good enough just to say well I like this character you have to have the because and the explanation with it but I mean for um, a lot of the students here that are doing higher level you have to have quotations you have to have reference to the text it has to be a developed answer what about Curly's wife in the, what do we think about her character there's very often mixed feelings about her as a character because you see her 
and she's like all the guys on the farm think of her as a tart uh, she dresses herself up she comes in she tries to tease them and kind of but they know if anything happens she either get beaten by Curly or Curly would come after them as well. Mm. And um, do you think that, you know, the way the men thought about um, Curly's wife on the farm, do you think that she acts like that and flirts with them just because... She's lonely, though. You think she's lonely? Yeah. Yeah. She's the only character in in the whole novel that has not addressed by their first name. Does anybody have any feelings about that or any ideas as to... I don't know, but it might be wrong, but I feel like it's to tie in with the time era that we're given. Like, she's seen as nameless mm-hmm. because in the time men were kind of seen more as the more important being, so maybe she hasn't got a name to highlight that, or maybe it's just because Curly's seen as, like, superior to her or Very something. Good, yeah. or, you and know John, you, know? you think John Steinbeck put that in there? Yeah, but I think it was just kind of, it wasn't thrown at you. It's just kind of, if you read between the lines, you mm-hmm. can kind of pick up on it, but... Oh, then again, I could be wrong. No, I think I think that's a really, really good answer. Any of you boys seen Curly? They swung their heads towards the door. Looking in was Curly's wife. Her face was heavily made up. Her lips were slightly parted. She breathed strongly, as though she'd been running. Curly ain't been here, Candy said sourly. She stood still in the doorway, smiling a little at them, rubbing the nails of one hand with the thumb and forefinger of the other, and her eyes travelled from one face to the other. They left all the weak ones here, she said finally. Think I don't know where they all went? Even Curly. I know where they all went. Lenny watched her, fascinated. But Candy and Crooks were scowling down away from her eyes. She regarded them amusedly. Funny thing, she said. If I catch any one man and he's alone, I get along fine with him. But just let two of the guys get together and you won't talk. Just nothing but mad. She dropped her fingers and put her hands on her hips. You're all scared of each other. That's what. Every one of you scared the rest is going to get something on you. After a pause, Crook said, Maybe you better go along to your own house now. We don't want no trouble. Well, I ain't giving you no trouble. (laughs) Think I don't like to talk to somebody even once in a while? (laughs) Think I like to stick in that house all the time? Candy laid the stump of his wrist on his knee and rubbed it gently with his hand. He said accusingly, You got a husband? You got no call fooling around with other guys causing trouble? The girl flared up. Sure, I got a husband. You all seen him. Swell guy, ain't he? Spends all his time saying what he's gonna do to guys he don't like. And he don't like nobody. What I thought what Curly's wife was interesting in the novel was all the men wouldn't say they were lonely. Yet when she came in and she kept trying to say she was lonely and they were cutting her off. Mm. It was like that's a kind of a female voice saying that and expressing your emotions. So they just kept 
That's a no, no. That's a big no, no. Like we don't talk about our feelings here. You go away. Yeah, exactly. It's very, very male weak. thing to say. It's like a female thing. It's weak to talk about your problems and your feelings. Mm. You but know, that's the still macho, the case. Today. The macho man wouldn't. You know, exactly open up like we said, some of the things still stand. Like if a fella is today is to pull up something on Facebook saying, oh, "I'm feeling a bit down." Automatically, people will be like, "What is he on?" Like, you know, like he's Looking a for girl. attention or something. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is like a cry for attention. Maybe someone just needs someone to talk to at one stage. Like, mm. if you look at all the rest of the characters in the novel, uh, have they any one to lean on or support them, or would you? They're all by themselves. Exactly. Yeah. The only one that Lenny has is George, and George only has Lenny, so he kind of also has to like depend on him. Yeah, depend on him. So their relationship is not perfect. And no. you you know, it's it's quite an irregular relationship. Well it's better than them being it, by themselves. Like Crook Crook's only like stays by himself in the stable with the horse. He has like no one to talk to. So if anyone ever comes to him, do you think like he's gonna do something bad to him? Because he never ever ta- gets to talk to anyone. Hmm. So when he gets George and Lenny trying to talk to him, it's kinda like he takes a step back and he realizes that he kinda does need him. And He's a bit of jealousy, Crux, doesn't yeah. he? About about the relationship, he kind of um, he mocks them at first about their dream, but then I think he he does. He has to join in. Can mm. he join in? Mm-hmm. Because when he does, like Lenny does, often come to him in the stables just to either hang out with the puppy that was given to him by Slim, or just to kind of hang around. And Crux kind of gets like he accepts his presence, and even though we can see like it's uh, the racism is shown like by Crux's character he's being treated totally differently he's being excluded by like mo- almost every other character because of his race I'm seen as an inferior being in the story she looked from one face to the other and they were all closed against her and she looked longest at Lenny until he dropped his eyes in embarrassment suddenly she said where do you get them bruises on your face Lenny looked up guiltily. Who, me? Yeah, you! Lenny looked to Candy for help. And then he looked at his lap again. He got his hand caught in a machine, he said. Curly's wife laughed. Okay, machine. I'll talk to you later. I like machines. Candy broke in. You let this guy alone. Don't you do no messing around with him. I'm going to tell George what you says. George won't have you messing with Lenny. Who's George? she asked. The little guy you come with. Lenny smiled happily. That's him, he said. That's the guy. And he's going to let me tend the rabbits. Well, if that's all you want, I might get a couple of rabbits myself. Crook stood up from his bunk and faced her. Bad enough, he said coldly. You got no rights coming in a colored man's room. You got no rights messing around in here at all. Now you just get out, and get out quick. If you don't, I'm going to ask the boss not to ever let you come in the barn no more. She turned on him in scorn. Listen, nigger, she said. You know what I can do to you if you open your trap. Crook stared hopelessly at her. And then he sat down on his bunk and drew into himself. She closed on him. You know what I could do. Crook seemed to grow smaller. And he pressed himself against the wall. 
Yes, ma'am. Well, you keep your place then, nigger. I could get you strung up on a tree so easy it ain't even funny. Crooks had reduced himself to nothing. There was no personality, no ego, nothing to arouse either like or dislike. He said, Yes, ma'am. And his voice was toneless. For a moment she stood over him as though waiting for him to move so that she could whip him again. But Crooks sat perfectly still, his eyes averted. So we listened there to the excerpt from the barn scene. And in the barn scene, um, it's Crooks, Lenny, Curly's wife and Candy. Is there a kind of a connection between all those characters, do we think? Or? I think there's definitely a connection between all those characters, but whether they realise it or not is is the question. Would you say that they, they can identify with each other or do you think that they're only in, concerned in their own issues or problems? I think there's a bit of a connection because... Um, George and Lenny stick up for each other because they're together, but as for the other characters, they're kind mm. of alone, so they only have to stick up for themselves. All mm. of them are looked down on to some level, like Crooks because of his race, Candy because he's old and he doesn't have an arm, so he's in a way disabled. Then Lenny for being like that. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think that scene is, is symbolic because all of the characters in there have their own personal issues for different reasons. However, they're all lonely. You know, um, they wanted like just all get out of barn. They all seem. Oh no, like I mean the, the place where they walk. They all just. They all seem like they want to get out. Like Quilly's wife because, like, she has no friends there. George and Lenny because like this. And Curly's wife them. also mentions that she had like dreams of becoming an actress or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when she met Curly, she got married, and then all she does is being stuck inside the house all day, doing absolutely nothing. So when she gets the chance to actually talk to them. And then it just turns into a big argument because she is Curly's wife and then they don't want her around in case they get in trouble with the boss. Because she's an authority figure. Yeah. And um, that's interesting. You mentioned hopes and dreams. That's another thing that that all the characters in the barn have in common. They all have um, hopes and dreams. And as you said, Cameron, a lot of them want to get off the ranch and have their own own farms, live off the fatherland. um, And and just they're not happy in their lives, are they? No. 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 So um, are any of these hopes and dreams realised? Not really. Candy in the end was trying, like, he kind of played into George's and Lenny's dream of them having their own farm because in the end he knew he wasn't going to probably stay at the ranch any longer because he was becoming older. And then with Crooks, he tried to, like, play in on that dream as well because he, like, George, Lenny, and Candy were one of the few people who actually accepted Candy, uh, Crooks, as a person. And I suppose looking at uh, their kind of themes is really what we're discussing mm-hmm. there, the whole idea of loneliness and um, one of the themes was terrorism, racism or betrayal from the 2010 ordinary level question. The question was, describe a novel in which a character is faced with terrorism, racism or betrayal and how does the character cope with the problem? Racism or betrayal, I suppose. They're, who's betrayed in the novel? Could you could you use that characters. as an example? Yeah, maybe give us some examples of like, what people are betrayed. Um, Corley's wife, for example, there's signs of betrayal, but in a more kind of obvious way. Like, she's kind of flirting with other people, it's seen as unloyal, and that's betrayal. But then there's also the end scene, which is very dramatic, where it's like people see it as um, George betraying Lenny, 
by shooting him but in another sense it's what he had to do but he's still exactly it's for his own good but still people see it as betrayal because he's just obviously killed his own friend but like underneath that there's so much more mm. it's just kind of it's a bit, it's a bit of a debate isn't it <laughs> like how many like say about 50 percent would say oh it's a betrayal because george killed his best friend and all but then think about like all it the stuff that he would have went through that if uh yeah. What did you think, Cameron? Did you think it was a betrayal? Did you think George did the right thing? No, I think George did the right thing, but like, um, I'd say a hurt George more than a hurt Lenny, to be honest, because, um, like, I mean, he's just, now he's on his own. I'd say, because uh, like, we don't know what happens afterwards. And what about yeah. the way he shot him? I mean, did he just bring him out to the brush and shoot him, or what? No. It was the same way that, um... They shot um, Candy's dog. Exactly. So, like, there was a sense of foreshadowing earlier on in the book that you don't actually pick up on until the last scene. And the same way that he shot him, like, it took everything he had to actually pick up the gun and put the bullet in his best friend, the same way that they did with Candy's best friend and only companion, which was his dog. So The difference was, I suppose, that Candy didn't... Um, he didn't have the guts to do it. He himself. asked Carlson to do it. And mm. Whereas George has the guts to do it, even though it is his best friend and even though he has promised Aunt Clara that he will take care of him. One of the questions that comes up quite a lot from what I can see is um, the, the ending, and that's kind of what we were, we were talking about there. So maybe we'll take um, an excerpt, uh, and this is from a BBC radio play of the, the novel from a few years back. Oh, oh, oh go on, George. How's this gonna be? Uh, oh, we're gonna get a little place. Uh, have a cow? <laughs> Go on, George. Yeah. Well, maybe have a pig? Chickens? There's <laughs> a flat. We're gonna have a little... <laughs> a little piece of alfalfa. Oh, boy, the rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> the rabbits. <laughs> and I get to tend the rabbits. And you get to tend the rabbits. <laughs> and live on the fat of the land, yes, now George. Don't turn your head, Lenny. Look there. Yeah. You can almost see the place. Oh, oh, I can almost see, see it, George. Go on, George. Go on. When, when we gonna do it? Don't do it soon. <laughs> me and you. You and me. <laughs> Everybody gonna be nice to you. Ain't gonna be no more trouble. Nobody gonna hurt nobody nor steal from them. I thought you was mad at me. <laughs> no, Lenny. I ain't mad. I've never been mad, and I ain't now. <laughs> That's the thing I want you to know. George. You keep your head still, Lenny. Let's do it now. Yeah, le let's go go to that place now. Sure, right now. <laughs> I gotta. <laughs> we gotta. <laughs> And that was uh, an excerpt from the, the ending of the book of Mice and Men, which is just what we've been talking about. D did people like the ending? Was it unexpected? You know, what did you think of the ending of the book? Or? I thought like, it was very unexpected, but it was. I thought it was a good ending. It wasn't how ex I thought it could have been a better. There could have been a better ending than that. I think everyone would have liked Lenny to uh, to live because he was like, he was a really lovable and innocent character. Yeah, and why do you think the writer chose to do that? Do you think to kill off Lenny? I think he probably chose it because it makes you feel like different emotions at the end. Yeah, and is there that idea that kind of Lenny's never going to survive in that world, yeah. and to kind of yeah. to, to, mm. to that's kind of what the writer's saying. You know, there was no chance of him ever surviving in that world. So, so the best place for him to go was to go by in his own way, the way he would like to go, 
As in, yeah, we, we can go there now. We can go have our own place. Like, we could go to his dream in a way. Could instead escape of reality. Being, exactly. Yeah. When you're answering um, this question, um, what do you think of the ending of the novel? There is no right or wrong answer. As long as you can um, look back in cl- with clarity, with reference to the text, with quotations, and have a concise and clear argument, then, you know, you can answer exactly <coughs> as you feel. It's your opinion. However, this question can be tricky because students sometimes give the opinion but don't give the explanation behind the opinion. That's where they lose marks. So it's just important to remember that you have to have a clear reason as to why with reference to the text and the answer. And that, I mean, more or less the the same question came up on the higher level in that same Mm -hmm. year. You know, did you like the ending or something unexpected happened? So what's the... What makes a question from an ordinary to a higher level if it's... Um, I suppose that the question is asked a lot, but um, with the higher level paper in general, I mean, there's two papers and they're both two and a half hours long, whereas there's only one paper with the ordinary level. Um, the higher level, I suppose, is looking for more information um, and the questions asked are more open-ended. They're not as directed as the ordinary level. As the ordinary level will ask directly a question, whereas the higher level, sometimes the questions can be a bit more ambiguous and the students have to decipher them you know, with a deeper level. Um, and there's, there is a higher expectation and, and higher level students will be penalised a lot more for uh, sentence structure and um, grammatical errors and paragraphs and, and the development of their answers as well. I mean, that's not to say that the ordinary pa- paper is really, really easy and it's something that, you know, can be done without any uh, revision or anything like that. I mean, the ordinary level paper requires reference from the text and um, clear and concise answers, but I suppose it's just not looking for as in-depth and as well-developed answers, perhaps. Just, I suppose, as an approach to how to study of mice and men, um, it's important that you, you just don't know the basic storyline. I think a lot of students, what they go go in and they do in the exam is just basically word for word write the story again. That's not what the examiner is looking for. Um, they need to look at the key themes and ideas and that the novel is based upon. So I would suggest that you concentrate on the themes of loneliness, hopes and dreams, racism and friendship. And what you need to do is find examples um, of how each of the character experiences these themes. Um, and I'd also compile quotations and put them into categories so that for each theme and each category you have the correct quotations to go alongside them. You know, don't go in without having a rough answer. And I would never say to a student, learn off an answer. Mm. But um, especially when, as we said, a lot of the key concepts come up time, time again, year in, year out. But just have a rough idea or draft of what you would write if the relationship question came up or if if something else came up in relation to social setting or, you know, things that come up time and time again, just to have a rough idea of how you would answer the question. Why why do you think they picked that book for the, the junior search? In my um, experience as a teacher, most students absolutely love the story because I think on one hand it's quite dark, it's quite oppressive, but on the other hand um, there is that ray of light, that relationship between George and Lenny and I think, you know, I think students can identify being lonely or being repressed sometimes. Sometimes, you know, teenagers feel that, you know, the world's against them and, you know, they want to, to have, they have hopes and dreams as well for, for doing different things. So I think students can really relate to, to the novel, even though it's set in a different time period. And like some okay. of the, some of the, the troubles like in the book, they still happen today. Like yeah. There's still racism and all throughout the world. Still sexism. Yeah, yeah, still sexism. 
And what about loneliness? Is that kind of a thing yeah. for teenagers as well? Yeah. Anybody like nationwide can relate to that at one stage or another. Same yeah. with the friendship. It's just something that in one sense you can't relate to it, obviously, because things like having to work on a ranch and everything. But then there's the sense that like, oh, these people from way back then still feel the emotions that I felt. I ain't got no home, I'm just a roaming round. Just a wandering worker, I go from town to town. And the police make it hard wherever I may go. And I ain't got no home in this world anymore. That was programme one of the series, Novels, Plays and School Days, featuring the students of Larkin Community College. Naomi Russell, Cameron Mason, Matilda Kruskaska, Michaela Ventura, Lucinda Christie and their teacher Michelle Fallon. The programme was produced and presented by Debbie Hutchinson, narrated by Michael Sharp and sound by Aoife Nekana. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.